take some time to pray before we dive in this morning. Jesus, we love you. We need to hear from you this morning. We so desperately need you in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me this morning, that you would speak through me, that these wouldn't just be a bunch of words for some of us that we've never heard, for some of us that we have heard for so much of our lives. But Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your text, that you originally inspire, that you would speak a new word to our heart today, something that is relevant to our lives, something that is applicable, something that we can take out from these four walls into our lives and into the lives of the people around us. Jesus, would you move today as we continue to worship in the studying and the preaching of your word. In your holy and precious name I pray, Jesus. Amen. All right. So, what we are doing this week is we are kind of diving into an illustration that Paul is using to kind of put a big, massive, completed thought stamp, a period at the end of a sentence on everything that we talked about last week, which was, do not go back to where you have come from. You were under these laws and being pagans, you were under these ceremonies, you followed these rituals, and now you've been set free in Jesus, so why would you then go from being set free in Jesus back to these elementary things and putting your life back under the burden of the law. So last week, Paul says, don't look back. This week, we are diving into an illustration of that point. And Paul keeps this parental tone up. He continues to get on to these Galatians for being fooled by the Judaizers that are sneaking into the church. And so before we dive into this, I do want to give a couple of warnings. The first is that Paul is using this vivid imagery and this word of slavery over and over and over today. And so slavery was a point of illustration to these Jewish believers, but also to the people of this day that they would have been accustomed to. They could relate to it, but it wasn't necessarily the same slavery that we think of. See, the Jews were in slavery in Egypt, and maybe that was a little bit more like we are accustomed to. They would have seen slavery in the Roman culture, but within this context um, of slavery for the Jewish people, for the Gentiles, slavery really means indebtedness over ownership. So when we think of slavery in an early American Civil War context, we think of American slavery, which was ownership, which was wrong. But kind of what is being said here is, no, this isn't this idea of ownership. This is this idea of indebtedness. I am putting myself in service to you because I am indebted to you. And ultimately what this illustrates is our debt that we owe to God, that he paid for us through Jesus. Now, the second one, uh, much more fun, okay? I want to just give you a warning right now. We are going over 10 verses today, and we are about to just nerd out over these 10 verses, okay? We're going full Steve Urkel mode. Uh, What Paul does in this text is he is jumping over hurdles. He is doing uh, hermeneutic or preaching gymnastics. He is doing exegetical gymnastics. He is all over the Bible from start to finish, and so it's going to be fun, but we certainly have to really hone in here. So we will break this down as we do verse by verse. So stay with me. Uh, It's going to seem like I have ADD, which is most certainly true, but there is a purpose to it. I'm just following Paul's ADD this morning. So it's going to be fun. Galatians 4, 21 through 27 is where we are going to start off this morning. Paul writes, tell me, 
You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. We're going to break this into three pieces. The first is really pretty concise, and that is in verse 21, we see that there is a condition. Paul is saying in verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What is their condition? Their condition is, they're living like the law saves them. Paul says, do you actually know what you're putting yourselves through? You've come back out of a system like this, and now, once again, you're going back to an elementary thing. Do you actually know what you are putting yourself through? Do you really want to choose the law over choosing grace? You say you want to get circumcised in order to follow the Scripture and be obedient to the Scripture. But have you actually read the Scripture? Because if you've actually read the Scripture, then you would have concluded that the heart of Scripture's meaning is not that you need to earn your salvation, but actually the heart of Scripture's meaning is that freedom is found in Jesus by faith, not the law. And so their condition is, once again, they are putting themselves back under this burden, back under this yoke of slavery. And then, where we'll spend most of our time this morning, we have a contrast, verses 22 through 30. Now, it's important for us because Paul is contrasting two things here. He's contrasting the mamas, okay, so Sarah and Hagar, and then he's contrasting the sons, so we have Isaac and Ishmael. Paul is contrasting the mamas because he knows when you mess with somebody's mama, there's going to be drama, okay? He knows that when you talk about somebody's mom, there's going to be an issue. So there was a show that came out in 2000 on MTV called Yo Mama, all right? If you were a fan of that 70s show, which I'm not sure why you wouldn't be, uh, Fez, a.k.a. Wilmer Valderrama, was the host of Yo Mama, and basically the whole idea of this show was just like, I don't know, filming what happens in seventh grade in between classes. Uh, You have one group over here, and they're backing up their person that's making fun of this person's mom, and then you got this group over here, and they're backing up this guy who's making fun of this dude's mom, and I don't know anyone's relationship with their moms, but they're getting really offended. And so the winner of whoever makes fun of the other guy's mom the most wins $3,000 in cash money. And that's cash money. That was a cool way to say cash money back in 2006. Also, if you're Wilmer Valderrama and you're just super cool, you can talk however you want to talk. So what Paul is doing in his contrast and his comparison between the moms in this story is exactly the same thing that you did in between classes in seventh grade. You would talk about somebody's mama so you could offend them, so that you could get their attention, and then they would listen to you. And if they were smart, 
then they would respond with something real quick. And then you'd have to say something else about their mom. And hopefully you could keep it up. Otherwise, you're going to run out of juice and you're going to lose that yo mama battle. And today that ends up on TikTok, so it's permanent. So why is Paul talking about these mamas? Why is he talking about Sarah? Why is he talking about Hagar? You see, the mother, the mother between a mother and father that had a child, the mother's ethnicity determined the son or the daughter, the child's ethnicity, not the father. So if the mother was a Jew, the child would be a Jew. If the mother was a Greek, the child would be a Greek. If she was a Gentile, he would be a Gentile. And so what we need to realize before we dive into this is that physically, Hagar, the slave woman, the woman indebted to Abraham and Sarah, she is the son, or she is the mother of the slave son. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Ishmael, the father of the Arab nation. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, the mother of the promised child. She represents the Jews. Now, spiritually, Hagar is the mother of the slaves that is under the law, and Sarah for those that are free in Jesus. So all of this, good context for what we're about to dive into, which is ultimately the story of Abraham. Verses 22 and 23, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So what Paul is doing here is he is bringing a story up that they all would have been familiar with in verses 22 and 23. And he's summarizing and he's reminding them of an important part of the Abraham story. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, you don't need to turn there. Maybe you can write a little note out next to 22 and 23. This is cross-referencing a story that takes place in Genesis 12, 16, and 21. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham he'd have descendants as many as the stars in the sky. Abraham was 75 years old at this time. And Abraham believed it, and he trusted God for it. We got any 75-year-olds in the house? Anybody ready to just parent more kids than there are stars in the sky? (laughs) I'm 32, and I'm pretty much capped out at two kids. I'm like, man, my quiver's not as big as some people's. Goodness gracious, two girls is a lot. I couldn't imagine more kids than there are stars in the sky. That fast forwards to Genesis 16. Abraham gets a little impatient, and he takes things into his own hands, much like we do. See, what him and Sarah do is they follow cultural norms. It's been 10 years since God made that promise to Abraham, and guess what? Still no babies. Lots of trying. Still no babies. And so back in this day, it was customary to have a child through a servant if you didn't have an heir by your wife. It wasn't working out how they thought it would, so what'd they do? They took matters into their own hands. They said together, Abraham and Sarah, maybe this is what God meant. Maybe you need to go be with our slave, with the woman who is indebted to us. Maybe you need to go be with Hagar. And maybe what God actually meant is, I wasn't going to bury you a son. What God actually meant was, maybe she's supposed to bear you a son. And so what they do, they do what we often do when we're confused about God's will in our life. Um, When we stop seeking him out in our life and we start to rely on our own resources, they made a decision out of the flesh. They followed the flesh. 
They used common human thinking plus common human resources plus the normalities of culture, and they executed that. And every time that math equation happens in our life, we act out of the flesh. Abraham has a baby with Hagar, their servant. His name is Ishmael. And what does God say? God says, nope, that is not my plan. Ishmael is not the heir. You were not supposed to take matters into your own hand. And once again, we flash forward even more into Genesis 21, where God says it's actually through Isaac, through Sarah's son, through your wife, that your descendants will come from. This is 15 years later. Abraham is 100 years old at this time. God made that promise to Abraham 25 years ago. And it is that moment where Abraham and Sarah live life in the Spirit, living by God's reasoning, with God's supernatural resources, following His will and His word under His timing. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know the promises that God has made to you. I don't know what God is moving and doing in your life, but I do know when we take matters into our own hands because God is not working inside of the box that we put him in, there are repercussions. And we see later in the scripture that Isaac and Ishmael war against each other even till this day and the Jews and the Arab nations. There are consequences when we act out of the flesh. So we see Ishmael born of the flesh. We see Isaac, born of the promise. And then we land in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. What Paul is using is a well-known story to metaphorically make a point. We have a slave covenant here. We have a free covenant here. Hagar is under the slave covenant. Now, Back to the Yo Mama jokes. Why is this so offensive? Why did Paul basically take a dagger and just start shanking these Judaizers, start shanking these people that are putting themselves under the law? Because what Paul is saying to these Judaizers, what Paul is saying to these people putting themselves back under the law is, you are being descendants of your enemy. You are acting just like your metaphorical, allegorical mother. You are being just like Hagar. Now, somebody wants to talk about my mama, we're going to have some problems. But if somebody wants to say that my mom is not my mama, and that my mom is actually way worse than anything that I could realize, and it goes against everything I've ever been raised to, to know and believe and come up in, now, now we've got some real issues. Now you've got my attention. Paul is saying spiritually, you come from the same woman that you despise. So we look at this, we realize that there are two different covenants, slave and free. Verse 25, we can break down the slave covenant. It says, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. So this slave covenant from Mount Sinai, we have to ask the question, what is this? This is the Mosaic covenant. What is the Mosaic Covenant? The Mosaic Covenant is the Ten Commandments that Moses received from God, revealing them to him on top of Mount Sinai. It is also 613 laws in total that Moses receives from God throughout his life. These are moral laws on murder, theft, honesty, adultery. 
the moral of these moral laws, which still apply to us today. These are social laws on property, inheritance, marriage, and divorce. These are food laws on what is clean, what is unclean. Don't touch bacon, don't touch ribs, stay away from pork altogether. Ultimately, it sounds pretty evil. Also, he talks about cooking and the storing of food. It's purity laws on cleanliness and hygiene and how you should conduct yourself hygienically. And the Judaizers are telling the Galatians that if you want to be saved, that you have to follow Jesus, yes, but you also have to put all 613 of these laws back on your shoulders and live by them. The very tip of the spear that they are coming at these people with is the law of circumcision, saying if you're going to follow Jesus and you want to be saved, then you also need to be circumcised. So we see in this that it represents the current Jerusalem, Jewish people, that they are in slavery to this law, is what Paul is saying. And this is exactly what you are putting yourselves back under. Verse 26, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. The free covenant belongs to the Jerusalem above. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. We see this, Hebrews 12, 22-24. So, so beautiful, and what we have to look forward to when our time here is up, when our race is finished. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, and that is Jesus, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What Paul is saying is those in faith under Jesus are free. These 613 laws, guess what? Jesus fulfilled them. Jesus lived by them perfect. It says every jot, every tittle. That means every T cross, every I dotted. Jesus lived perfectly by them. And when Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for you, that's what being the perfect sacrifice means. It meant that he fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it. And now we, as believers that put our faith in Jesus, don't have to live by every single one of these laws. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are set free to love God and to love people. Next we see verse 27 is that we have another reminding reference. When I said Paul is kind of all over the place, he's jumping hurdles, he's doing triple gainers, he's literally all over the place. So now we are not in Genesis, we are in Isaiah with the quote that he has in verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. In verse 27, Paul is quoting Isaiah in Isaiah 54, verse 1. And this echoes Sarah and her barrenness in Genesis. It says that a result of the suffering servant's sacrificial work in Isaiah 53 is realized in Isaiah 54. The suffering servant is Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross for us is what we actually get to experience in Isaiah 54. The new Jerusalem is restored, it is healed, it is cleansed, as we see in that 54th chapter. Rejoice if you are not under the law, because there are so many more that are under the law than that are not. 
Certainly you have experienced this in your day-to-day life. There are so many more people in your life that are under some kind of law, whether it's just trying to be a good person, whether it's some moral law that they make up. Certainly we're all under the law of the land living in America. How's it going keeping up with that law? Not speeding down 163rd as you're late for work? So many people under the law. So few people set free from the law in Jesus. So, to recap, refocus 22 through 27, Paul is saying any point being made by this story outside of faith, promise, and freedom is a mishandling of the scriptures. And so these Judaizers that keep sneaking into the church behind me as I'm setting them up all over Galatia, if you are hearing this, this is the truth. Do not let the Judaizers fool you. Do not let the idea of being a good person fool you, Asante Church. Do not let the idea of setting yourself under some law so that you can achieve your own salvation, so that you can earn your own salvation, fool you. It won't work. You can't earn your salvation. Your salvation is given and it has come to completion in Jesus and Jesus alone. So, church, let's have faith in Jesus. Paul reminds them the law didn't even exist under Abraham, as we heard from Jacob two weeks ago. It's always been about faith, promise, and freedom. You can have faith in God's promise. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham. And by God fulfilling his promise to Abraham today, we are free in Jesus. And in being free in Jesus, we are children of the free woman. Let's remain children of the free woman. Let's not put ourselves back under the burden of the law in Hagar. We see our second comparison, and it's a contrast in sons. Galatians 4, 28 through 30. Now you brothers, now you brothers, there's, there's commas in there. I picked them up that time. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Verse 28, Paul is saying, here's the point, followers of Jesus, you are children of the promise. You are people of the Holy Spirit. Verse 29, Ishmael, born in the flesh, is persecuting Isaac. We see that that has not stopped to this day. Ishmael, born of the flesh, is persecuting Isaac, born of the Spirit. The Judaizers, born of the flesh, are persecuting you, Church of Galatia. Because you are in the Spirit, they want to take that away from you. They want to put you back under the slavery. Flesh people will always oppose spirit-led people. As a church, I want us to know this. Take this with you this morning. That when you are living life in the Holy Spirit, when you are saved by grace through faith, and Jesus starts to make you a little bit more like him every day, then you're not going to be the same person that they used to know. And they're not going to like that change. Why are they not going to like that change? Because they're comfortable with the person they used to know. When you're living life in the flesh, you don't go in opposition to anything that is counter to that. So, 
realize when people come against you for living life in the Spirit, that's exactly what Paul is saying will happen. As a church, we should strive to live life in the Spirit, but we should also embrace the fact that people are going to oppose us over and over and over. Wives, if you're married to husbands that haven't put their faith in Jesus, guess what? You're going to be opposed. Believers in the workplace, if you are surrounded by people that don't know Jesus, which 99.9% chance you are, when you try to make a stand for Jesus, you're going to be opposed. Parents, if your children haven't given their lives to Jesus and you're wondering what's going on in their lives, why they're constantly in opposition to you, guess what? Spirit is always opposed by flesh. Now there's also this thing called being a teenager. And that's absolutely crazy. I just don't know. Like There's like life in the spirit as a teenager and it's just a whole lot of flesh all wrapped into one. There's a whole lot of opposition there. <laughs> There's a whole lot of hold up, Holy Spirit. I'm going to pose my parents real quick. Then you come back into the picture. Still haven't quite figured that out. As a church, as people that live life in the Spirit, realize that you will be opposed. Verse 30. We see that Paul quotes Genesis 21, verse 10. He says, Cast out the slave woman and her son. There is Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. There is Sarah. This perfect, awesome picture of grace. And what Paul is saying is if you have been saved by faith, cast out the law, cast out the flesh. That is a slave woman, that is her son. Cast out the law, cast out the flesh, and cling to your father, cling to your mother. Those of you who are in the Spirit, cling to grace, cling to the Spirit, cling to your faith. We'll close with this. The final section in these three sections is the decision. We see the decision in verse 31. Galatians 4, 31. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Two choices to make this morning. First half of the scripture, we can make the wrong choice. We can be children of the slave woman, children of the servant. Are you a child of Abraham and Hagar? Are you of the flesh? Are you at the center of your story? Great diagnostic for figuring out if you're in the flesh or in the spirit. Who's your life based around? Is it based around you? Congratulations. You are part of a tiny story that is completely self-centered, that is so completely selfish. That was not the way it was designed to be. Are you living out of your reasoning, with your resources, following cultural norms under your timing? Or have you been set free from all of that? If you haven't, I want you to know there's grace. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you that there's a way out. There's a way out of a tiny little selfish story. There is a way out of being wholly self-centered and focused on yourself. There is a way out of your own reasoning, your own resources, following cultural norms. There is a way out of being mastered by your own time frame. And that is the second half of this verse, the right choice. Are you children of Abraham, children of Sarah? Are you of faith? Are you in the Spirit? Are you living by God's reasoning with supernatural resources, 
following his will and his word is Jesus at the center of your story. Two questions to walk away with today. Metaphorically, allegorically, are we Ishmaelites or are we Israelites? Are we born of the slave woman or are we born of the free woman? Have we put our faith in Jesus? Have we trusted in Jesus to save us from God's wrath for the punishment of our sin? And if not, we're trying to earn it on our own. And that was never supposed to be the case. Second question, are we living free in Jesus or are we slaves to the flesh? Church family, we cannot uphold any law. As we've determined earlier, I can barely uphold the law of the land. For that, I am guilty. I cannot uphold any personal moral law. I don't want you to hear me say these words and think that I have it all together and I'm coming at you from a point of being perfect and put together and polished up. I still struggle with legalism. I still struggle with, is God going to love me as much today if I don't spend time praying if I don't spend time in the Bible, then, is, then if I had time to pray, then if I had time to read, if I miss my quiet time, am I going to lose God's love? Is he going to move on from me? So, so many more things. Is God going to be disappointed in me and love me less? Am I going to earn his favor and his love and my salvation through how good of a husband I am? through how good of a father I am, through how good of a pastor I am. These are things that haunt me because I still battle against the flesh. But I know that in the spirit, that I'm a son, that I've been set free from all of that nonsense, that I will never be good enough. I will never be good enough in my time with Jesus. I will never be good enough as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor. But you know what? In all of my shortcomings, in all of my failures, in all of the sin in my life, not just the things where I try to earn it, but in the things where I just oppose it, Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus set me free from having to earn it. And in Jesus setting me free, he earned it for me. At the end of the day, because we cannot uphold the law, because we cannot uphold any broken system or structure that we put into place, we need a Savior. As we solidified earlier, Jesus fulfilled the law, every single portion of it. And in doing so, when he took the cross for us and he died for our sins, we received his righteousness. He was the perfect sacrifice that we needed. And when he died for us, we received his righteousness and he took upon himself our sin. So we have a need for a savior. I don't know where you're at with Jesus this morning. If this is your first time to church in a long time or if you're just kind of figuring all of this stuff out. But there will be a time when you die and you stand before God. There will be a time where you are judged for your life and what you did with it, for the decisions that you made. And there is one decision that will make the difference in an eternity in that moment. When God looks down, I don't know exactly what he's going to say, but probably sound like, hey, what's up? <laughs> Why should I let you in here? Why should I spend time in eternity 
and let you be in the presence of my love forever. And I think sometimes we have the tendency to say, because I earned it. That is not true. Because we can never earn it. I think a lot of us would probably say, well, God, because I was, I was a good person. Were you perfect? Good people die and go into hell every single day. Because good people, still sinful people. And if we don't live by the law perfectly, we can't be saved by the law. So we need to be saved by someone who did live by it perfectly and gave themselves for us. And that is Jesus. Is it going to be... I think you're going to let me in because I, I obeyed you. I, I did what you told me. Well, you did sometimes. And I know you want to highlight those things. Maybe you posted about them on Facebook or something. Yeah, God read that or something. <laughs> Maybe you didn't like it because then you'd be like, oh, I, I know your account now. <laughs> but for all the good, all the obedience in our lives, there is still disobedience. So for that, the answer is still no. When he asks, why? Why should I let you in here? The only answer is because I put my faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save me. And those words, because God loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. Welcome in. And by the way, this isn't your ticket to get into heaven free. You're not going to trick God. See, God has this ability to look into your life and say, yeah, I know that you trusted Jesus to be your Messiah, to be your Savior. I know you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins and his work on the cross. I know that you trusted in him to bring you from death into life through his resurrection. And I know that his victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy was present in your life because I saw the way that you lived out of that. Not the way that you lived up to it to try to earn it, but I saw how you lived out of that and that he earned it for you and you lived a life that was appreciative and grateful and looked more and more like Jesus every day. Don't think just because some really silly pastor stood up on stage and said, because I put my faith in Jesus alone to save me, that if you were to die today, you didn't actually make that commitment to Jesus that you could get up in heaven and fool God. That's something that has to take place in here. Because what takes place in here with Jesus is what changes everything.